So we've heard of Jesus the rock this morning. Which is uh, an analogy that goes right through scripture. Uh, One of the more alarming ones is that he is a rock of offense. Unless we trip over him and are crushed to pieces, that same rock will destroy us. Because the healing process is putting together the pieces. I'm greatly encouraged today to realize that I am a linguist. I know what podcast means. And reference was made to the woman of Sarepta who shared her last meal with the prophet. And the oil poured out. And the meal poured out until the drought was over. (coughs) Sarepta, the woman of Zarephath. I am wearing learner badges today uh, because I've been instructed by my wife in many things. But I have discovered that the Bible is reprinted every day, just like the newspaper. When I open the Bible, there's new things in it. I never stop learning. And it wasn't there yesterday. I take this opportunity of welcoming our daughter, Shirley Ann. Lovely to have you. She's actually come here to see me preach before I'm elevated to the real estate. She's preaching. She's worshipping now with a plant out from Glenridge in Belito. So that's a great privilege. Enjoy to have you here, Shirley Ann. Hmm. I couldn't print my notes. I was going to have to wing it, which would have been fun. But David Hotchis came to the rescue, as usual, and pressed all the right buttons. So I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Son of God, son of man, born of woman. Oh, my goodness, there's another unmarried mother. Lamb of God, great high priest, head of the church. Great shepherd, chief shepherd, good shepherd, my shepherd. Greet you in his name. Jesus, bread of life, bread of God, tree of life, true vine. These metaphors express a dimension of his character and ministry. But he is in reality son of God and son of man. We distinguish between titles and his identity. Foundation, cornerstone, capstone of the temple, fountain of living waters, light of the world, word of God, plumb line of the temple. 
Second Adam, heavenly bridegroom. Root and offspring of Jesse. In his name I greet you. Name carries authority. And we sung about the authority of that name. What I loved about a song we sang, all he has said will come to pass. Let it come. Thy kingdom come, says it all. As reflected on the front page of the newspaper, newsletter, I was planning to continue our study and ponder the word of God, which has been the theme of the last weeks. But my wife said, you're caught in a preaching trap. You've preached the same message for the last three times you've preached. I'm sick and tired of it. So I won't do that now. I was going to give thanks that we in Sarepta do not behave like those wicked believers in the Bible who had to be corrected and reproved all the time. I was going to give thanks that we are not, we are not liable for reproof and correction because we do not indulge in the sins that Paul mentions in the biblical Christian. Profane myths, endless genealogies, meaningless talk, gossiping. Ooh, how tasty. Juicy things are, says so in Proverbs. Morbid craving for controversy, disputes about words, wrangling. Paul had a great deal of problem with wrangling. I'm glad we're not wranglers. We don't chew that cut over senseless controversies, idle talk, quarreling and having itching ears for profane chatter. I was going to major on Ephesians 4 verse 31, which calls for action. Put away from you all bitterness, wrath, wrangling, slander, together with all malice. Put it away. That's what I was going to preach on, but I won't now. Instead, I'm going to testify to stories I've heard this week, which have greatly encouraged me and will be of encouragement to you, of powerful miracles. But first, may we sing ourselves through Jonah chapter 2. But before we do, I'm going to ask you to indulge me in a fantasy, in an imagination. When I'm in heaven... I'm going to be a conductor of banks and banks of thousands of thousands upon angels and choirs and orchestras, harps and lyres and trumpets and horns and flutes and stringed instruments. Stretching out of sight, I'll be the conductor. And I will be conducting a crescendo of glorious praise exploding through heaven. And suddenly, with a sweep of my baton, 
everything will fall quiet. And I will wave my baton and point to a little cherub way, way, way up there. Point my finger. This cherub will strike a triangle and a pure crystal note of beauty will echo through heaven. And now I will sweep with my baton and away will go with the glorious praise of heaven again. It's just what I'm anticipating. But you see there's a stain of evil. Have you recognized the stain of evil in that fantasy? The ego is still in the driving seat. It's all about me. Oh, gosh. So let's get back to Jonah. With me. Out of the belly of hell I cried, out of the belly of hell I cried, out of the belly of hell I cried. Glory to the Son of God. He cried out of the fish in verse 1, but he cried out of the belly of hell in verse 2. In between, he had died. You don't survive long in the belly of a big fish. <coughs> Jonah, verse 7. The Lord have mercy on my soul. Lord have mercy on my soul. Lord have mercy on my soul. Glory to the Son of God. One of the great blessings in our lives is conviction of sin. And without that reality, all that we have celebrated here is meaningless. Lord, have mercy on my soul. And there's a sense in which we can all identify with being in the pits, as described in Jonah 2. But the gospel is good news, so we go to the next verse. Salvation is of the Lord, salvation is of the Lord, salvation is of the Lord. Glory to the Son of God. We put them all together, (coughs) all three verses. Out of the belly of hell I cried, out of the belly of hell I cried. No, no, Lord have mercy on my soul. Salvation, no, someone, no. All right. There's another verse. The next verse is only for musos who've got doctorates in tonality and have an exceptionally high IQ. So most of you will have to remain silent. Do join in if you think you can. Very complicated verses. Are you ready? 
Glory, 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 glory to the Son. It's quiet. Some of these people are saved. Goodness me. <coughs> Last week, or the week before, Jill Price Lewis was here, and she's a distant cousin of Kim Kennant's prophet, who used to be in Durban. And he's died now. But Jill tells me that it is on record, on a rec- being recorded, that seven years ago, Kim Clements prophesied three things. One, Donald Trump would become president seven years ago. I never even heard of him. Number two, he would serve two terms. Number three, he would become a Christian when he came to the presidency. Now that's authentic prophetic ministry. Seven years in advance when there's no evidence around. This supernatural dynamic is very close, you know, at hand. And at the Romans course, it goes on downstairs in Thursdays, Morton Dupreux from St. Agnes is an engineer. He told us a story. That it must be some time back. There was a mission to the Kotha. But the interpreter was ill. And so the mission party were confronted now with villagers, none of whom spoke English. And there was an impasse. The people who'd come to bring the good news of the gospel wanted to speak in English. And Morton says what they did, his companions, they had a Khosa Bible, they put it on his head and said, you will preach in Khosa. And he did. And he preached in Khosa with great effect not knowing a word he spoke. That's the supernatural breaking through into the natural through the exercise of faith as anointed and directed by the Spirit. We are on the edge of this dimension, pulling the powers of the end of the age into our present lives. Hebrews 6. Now, for reflections that have grabbed me over the past week. I was so thrilled last week when we worshipped and praised God objectively. There are two vital importance and dimensions to our worship. One is 
objective, exalted praise to God who is to be praised whether he created humanity or not. He is to be praised because of his deity draws praise like a magnet draws findings. Can't help it. And, And that exalted praise, which has got nothing whatever to do with us, is very important dimension, as well as the way we worship, which is intimate, personal, devotional, romantic. Two sides of one coin. We must keep the balance. They are both vital. And in the culture I was brought up with, I never knew anything about this love story that we sing about every week here. How beloved we are, intimately, the bridegroom and the bride having a love in. That's worship. That's worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And I, I must say, I think it was Eric leading last week, I suddenly had a lift when I realized we weren't in the song. God was being praised for his majesty, his beauty, his power, his wisdom, and for being God. Where's me, Lord? Where's me with my conducting? Where's me, 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 me? Secondly, I continually marvel about this building. And strangers and visitors have commented to me regularly over the years what a very unusual and beautiful building it is. And they speak of its warmth and its welcome and its homeliness and its belongingness and how different it is from many places of religious gathering. God designed and built this building. He used Gareth and he used James and others. It's a wonderful place. It's wonderful just to come here. But beloved, God doesn't live here. You don't come here to find God. Come here together. This place is a place of prayer, of praise, of ministry, of fellowship. It's a place where people do quilts and do physical exercise and dance. It could be a place where people do carpentry. That would be very biblical. I love that. Do you see that film, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, where Jesus is making a chair? Do you remember? And they don't have chairs. And 
his mother says it'll never catch on. <laughs> Jesus, the high priest, the Lamb of God, the foundation of the temple, the cornerstone of the temple, and the capstone of the temple. But Jesus lives in his temple, which is inside of us, as has already been expressed this morning. 1 Corinthians 6, individually you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 6, collectively we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God resides in us, we are living stones. And that power, which we've referred to, is invested in us. Just as this lovely building is not a church, neither are the many Christian organizations and institutions structured into religious systems of control. The church is the body of Christ. It's a mystical body. The members of the body of Christ are found in all Christian denominations probably as a minority in most of it. But to be a Christian is to be a member of the body of Christ with a personal connection to the head of the body. And belonging to a Christian denomination of any kind does not make you a Christian. Finally, when the preacher says finally, you normally got another 20 minutes. I have this week been confronted by a very grave sin in the camp. And have been severely reminded by the Holy Spirit that my response is not to condone sin, nor to condemn the sinner. So correction does not include rejection, and confrontation does not include condemnation. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. Just like you can't be half pregnant, you can't be half condemned. There is no condemnation. You either have a clean driving seat or you're not pregnant. There is no condemnation. And I've still got a few minutes left for my finally. 
Coming back to the understanding that we are members of the body of Christ, first and foremost, members of Sarepta, members of the Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, Anglican, Catholic, whatever, Alex Hewitson's just said a double take. But in understanding how the spiritual body works, Alex, I know very well that the Catholicism as a system is very evil but there are born-again spiritual Christians within that system who are members of the body of Christ. Oh, but, oh, but, oh, but, oh, but, oh, but, stop wrangling. As the physical body, we breathe in, we breathe out. If we stop doing that, we die. And so it is with the spiritual body. We breathe in and gather for worship, praise, and fellowship, instruction, and correction. We breathe out and scatter for witness and service. And the body of Christ breathes. Really, it's God, the Holy Spirit, who breathes through the body. And I know of Christians who call themselves Christians. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But they don't gather. They don't breathe in. When someone this week, something to me, my notes have gone skew, about the many wrongs in the church, my response is to trust in the promises of God who has guaranteed his church will be glorious without spot and wrinkle. The church will be glorious without spot and wrinkle. That's Jesus' problem. Because he said it, I didn't say it. If you ask me, the church is a shower of something or other. But Jesus says his church is going to be a glorious church. Without He even says we are already glorious. And we have received the glory that God gave the Father in the beginning. Way beyond my understanding that. And my commitment and response to Jesus is to trust him and hold him to account for his promises. The promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. And as we sang, everything he said will come to pass. Now unto him who is able to present you faultless before the throne of God with exceeding joy, be honor and glory and praise. Amen. Twenty minutes just about up. Bless you all. Uh, that power that enabled Kim Clement.
You prophesy about Donald Trump seven years before he was on the horizon. That power which enabled a preacher to speak in Corsa who didn't know any Corsa, that power is vested in us. And can, as we've heard, letting in the word of God and crack over the rocks. Because this liberation we're talking about is about letting go. I'm, I'm in the context of, of seeing people having to let go. We have to let go. Oh, the emptiness, Sandra. We have to let go of our children sometimes. We have to let go of our pets. Oh, we have to let go of our families. I have to let you go, Shirley. You have to leave to cleave. I come across 30-year-old men who are still tied to mummy's apron strings. It's pathetic. Dairy me. I to leave her. I have a feeling that uh, Daryl Shriby, I'm not sure it was you, but I think it was someone like you, told your daughters you had to leave home. Huh? When you were 19, 20, you've got to leave home. Dear me. What am I talking about? Oh, power. There's power. There's power to heal and comfort, console, and reconcile and restore. There's power. And if you have met Jesus, you've tripped over the rock and been crushed to pieces. You now need to be put together. He's come to heal the brokenhearted, to restore, and to reconcile, and to comfort. There is no condemnation. And we can pray for one another and heal one another and release by faith. Faith is not sight. Faith is not sense. I've got a friend who's continually wrapping Jesus on their knuckles because she says a prayer, she looks up and it's not answered. That's not faith. That's manipulation. Every prayer I've ever prayed is answered. I see about half of 1% answered, but that's God's problem, not my problem. He's faithful. He's faithful. And as Mary Ellen and others have been saying, we have a sense we're on the cusp of, a, of the tide coming in. I actually don't believe Jesus is coming soon. I think the Antichrist may be at the door, but I don't think Jesus is coming just yet. But that I'm often wrong. May he come tonight. I don't expect him to come tonight. I don't think you expect him to come tonight. But the word of God says he's coming when he's not expected. Right, well, you're very welcome to sit here and worship God. I'm going to have a cup of tea. Bless you all. Pray for one another. If you've got any, if you've got any angst, 
Got any wrangling in your heart? Come and get free. 